all the technology worked great in the first service. <laughs> uh, I have said before that the devil gets into the technology, so trust me with that. It is a spiritual thing that takes place, and when you see stuff and hear stuff like that, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, uh, know that the devil's working, and so pray and ask the Lord to have his way in our hearts and lives, uh, that God would have his way in us. Amen? And so we trust him to be doing that. Hey, as I come before you this morning, I want to tell you, my body is tired, but my heart is full. And I am so thankful for yesterday. The Lord blessed us with a wonderful day uh, as we saw Garrett and Heather come together uh, as husband and wife. And so uh, for, on behalf of Angie and myself and Carrie and Pat Oppel, uh, we just want to let you know how much we sincerely love each of you and how you were here. Just so grateful. I, I know everybody couldn't be here yesterday, but a, a lot of you uh, took part in getting things done beforehand, preparing during and all that. So just thank you so much. I am honored to be your pastor and honored to, to be able to love you. And so, so th we're so thankful uh, for all of you today. So uh, praise the Lord for a great day and a beautiful day at that. Amen? Amen? So thankful. Well, as we look at the scriptures this morning, you know, as we've said, we have been going through the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John. And we live in such a very selfish and very self-centered and self-oriented world where it's all about me, myself, and I. So we wanted to go through this book because the book of John is very Jesus-oriented. It's all, this, all the word is, as we'll see today. But, but John specifically talks about who Jesus is as the Son of God and that he is deity. And we look and through it, and that as we see who Jesus is through the word, as we have said, the, the key verse talks about how when we know who Jesus is, we believe in him and we have life in his name. And so we want to focus all of our attention and all that, uh, that we are toward Jesus Christ. And so that's why the, the sermon series is Only Jesus. And today we're looking at specifically on the proven one. And we're, we're in chapter 5, but I promise we're going to end chapter 5 today. We've been, this is the third Sunday. We've been in chapter 5. Next week we're going to go into chapter 6, which there's more verses in chapter 6. We'll do the whole thing uh, next week. But don't worry, you don't have to pack a lunch, I promise. It's, it's going to be all right. Uh, but we're going to just kind of wrap, do some things to kind of make all that together next week. But anyway... Today we come to this idea of the proven one. As we think about that, we think about uh, verifying things and validating things. And you know, as I was thinking about that this week, sometimes, I don't know about you, but if there's something in your house that needs to be done, you know, maybe there's a leak that needs to be fixed or install some air conditioning units or uh, you need somebody to bake a cake for you or you, you've got something wrong with your car and you don't know what to do or who to ask about having these things done or having these things fixed, and maybe you're new to the community or maybe you just never had to deal with those things before. So you don't know who to ask, but you know you can ask some people who might know. And so you go to people that you trust and they tell you about people who they trust. And so you trust that person over here because the person you know trusts them. And so that person validates what they're able to do or verifies what they're able to do. And so you go to them. Now, some people don't like to talk to other people. And they'll use lists like Angie's List and things like that. Now, I don't know about you all, but my Angie's List is a whole lot different from the Angie's List <laughs> on TV. But nevertheless, 
People want to validate a witness, you know, to be, they, they need them to validate as a witness that they are proven in this field of things that they need to do. And so today we're going to, the sermon's going to be just a little bit different today. I, I know that may hurt your feelings, but it's just going to be a little bit different today. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to put your imagination cap on, all right? I want you to think in an imaginative way today. I know that's a stretch, but we're going, it's going to be all right, I promise, all right? So I want you to just imagine for a few minutes. We're going to think about ourselves being in a courtroom setting. Now, I know that some of you have probably seen like some of the old shows like Matlock or Perry Mason or maybe some like Jag a Law and Order or some of the newer uh, courtroom settings. Or maybe you've been in a courtroom and you know in a courtroom how it's sort of laid out, you know, with the people who are kind of in the audience. You've got the jury. You've got the judge. You've got the, the witness stand. And so today we're going to enter into the, door, in, into the courtroom, all right? So I want you to, just to go there. Imagine that, that you're the audience sitting in the courtroom. I'm going to have one prop today to kind of help us just a little bit with this. I'm going to pull this over. This is going to be the witness stand today. I'm not going to call anybody up. It's going to be all right, all right? It's going to be the witness stand. But you're going to imagine who the witnesses are today because we're going to have some witnesses. But we're going to come to the story. If you remember in chapter 5, it all began with Jesus being the cure where he cures the lame man. The lame man who'd been lame for 38 years. You remember this in the very first part of chapter 5. Jesus goes to the pools of Bethesda. And as he goes there, there's all kinds of people there with all kinds of infirmities who are blind, who are lame, and what have you. And he sees this lame man. And the lame man has been lame for 38 years, we find out. And so nobody's been there to help him to get down into the pool and what have you. And Jesus asks him, does he want to be healed? He gives them, uh, tells him why he hasn't been able to go in. And Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. It's on the Sabbath day. And so because it's on the Sabbath day, and Jesus heals him, and the man is healed, the Jews hear about it. They witness what's going on here. They, they hear about what Jesus has done. And that because it's on the Sabbath, it's the beginning point of their real hatred toward Jesus. The real persecution toward Jesus begins at this point. So that he, has, he makes himself out to be God. So that he is greater than their law. He is greater than the Sabbath. He's greater than they are. And they don't want to have anything to do with that. And so it begins, and this beginning point leads them all the way to the cross where they do crucify him. And so the Jews protest and they persecute and they, they want to kill him. But Jesus, as remember last week, we talked about him being the true authority. He, he responds to that in verse 17 of chapter 5 where he gives the tells Jesus answered them and says, meaning that it was a legal defense. He's given them a very legal defense, a formal defense against the charges against him. Uh, that they're saying he's not, he's not worthy, that he's not the authority here. But he is saying, yes, he is. And so today, we come to this place in Scripture, in the latter part of chapter 5, verses 31 through the end of the chapter, where Jesus validates his authority. He verifies that he has authority. And he does so by bringing forth these witnesses. Now understand that Jesus doesn't need to validate anything because he is God. Amen. He doesn't need to do that, but he does that for the Jew, and he does that for us today as well. And so what Jesus does here in this passage of Scripture is he's going to call forth four witnesses to prove that he is who he says he is. To prove his authority, that he has the authority to heal on the Sabbath. He has the authority to be over the Sabbath, that he is who he says he is. All right. Y'all with me this morning? It's, a little, it's, it's just a little bit different, uh, but I trust that you can handle this. All right. So I want you to go to the courtroom setting with me. All right, can you see it? 
you're there, you're in the audience, you see the witness stand is here. So we're going to hang out there in the courtroom today. You're there in the audience. The accusers are here as well. The Jews are off here somewhere. They're all the Jews and the Jewish leaders. But Jesus is going to come now, and he's going to present his defense, and he's going to call witnesses here in just a few minutes. So here comes Jesus. Here he comes now. So as he comes, he's entering into the room. Got the picture in your head? Now let's stand as we read the word together. And Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. For you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. As Jesus speaks these words, bringing witnesses unto for himself to show that he is who he says he is. Lord, we pray that you would make yourself known here today to validate, to verify, even for us here, maybe some who are questioning, maybe who are unsure of how we can know that you are true, to know, Lord, that you are who you say you are. Father, we pray now that you would have your way in every heart and life. Lord, that this information that we see from you as we come to the word of God is holy, it's righteous, it's good, it's wonderful, and it's true. And Lord, may it challenge us, may it change us, may it make us to be the people of God that you want us to be. Lord, may you have your way in. If if there are those here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that this will be the hour of salvation. For those of us who claim to know you, may it challenge us, Father, to think about who we are as your witnesses. And may you stir us, Lord, to, to love you more. But now may you have your way in all of our hearts and our lives, we pray. And we pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, so we're in the courtroom now. Jesus, the defendant, has stepped up now, and he begins to speak. And so the very first thing he says, if you want to see clear evidence, by the way, that's the first point, clear evidence. If you want to see clear evidence, I have it. Now, I'm going to speak as if Jesus is speaking this morning, just sort of give you a clue as to what's going on. Then I'll narrate some of this, and some I'll I'll be the Jews as well. So I'm going to just give you the whole thing. And so what we find here is Jesus says, if you wanted some clear evidence, I have it. And since the law calls for two or more witnesses, 
I will oblige you today, but I'm not going to just give you two witnesses. I'm going to give you four witnesses today to validate for you who I am. The Jews here are coming after Jesus to come to, to persecute him because they don't think he is who he says he is. He said, look, I'm going to bring forth witnesses to validate the claim. And so now Jesus says, all right, I'm going to call forth my first witness today. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you'd please come, please take the witness stand. Now, we know that at this point in time, John the Baptist is in prison by Herod. But we're using our imagination, and we're imagining that Herod is going to give him a little bit of a reprieve and come and sit on the witness stand today. All right? And so he comes, and, he, and we wonder our, to ourselves, as, we're, as John the Baptist is making his way to the witness stand here, as to why Jesus would call on John the Baptist. Why would he bring in John the Baptist here into his argument that he is who he says he is? in front of the Jews. Well, it's because John the Baptist at this time was more popular than Jesus. John the Baptist had been out in the wilderness. He was a sight to see. And they would go out and they'd hear what he had to say and they would go in throngs and they would go and hear what he had to say and want to know more about who he was. They would send people out to find out what his message was and what it was that he was saying. And they liked some of what they were hearing, as a matter of fact. And we'll talk about that in a few, just a few minutes. And so now John is here. And so Jesus says, okay, John the Baptist... What do you have to say about me that testifies about who I am? And basically, John the Baptist is going to say everything that he's already said. Some things he's already said you need to hear again here today. And so this is what he would say to the Jews. He would say about Jesus. He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. In other words, we remember that, that John was born before Jesus Christ, but John says, no, he was before me. He, was, he is eternal. He is God, and so he is preferred before me. He is greater than I am, he would say about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the promised one, the one who has been promised in the scriptures, the one who is the anointed one. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the promised one. He is the son of God. His sandal strap, I am not worthy to loose. He is great and mighty. He must increase and I must decrease. He is above, he is from above and he is above all. So that's who John the Baptist says Jesus is. To which Jesus said, thank you, John the Baptist, for your testimony as to who I am. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the Jews today? And he would say, you brood of vipers, repent and believe. Okay, thank you, John. That's good. I like that. You may now step down. So now we're going to call our second witness today that we see, uh, as we find it here in the Word of God as to what that second witness would be, who that would be. And so Jesus says, I'm going to call forth my second witness, which are works. Works are the second witness. Well, how do you bring forth works? Well, the works would be involving people. And so we look at verse 36 here and see what he says about works. He says, but I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And so we have to think about what it is that, that uh, Jesus would do to bring forth these works. And so they would be people. And so let's think back. And oh yes, here we see, we see a bride and a groom who are coming forward now. And they come up and they take the stand. And of course, he being a good man, he lets his wife sit on the stand and he stands next to her. And so this, this Jesus would say to them, so what would you say to testify of the works which I have done that would testify as to who I am? And they would tell about a wedding. We had a wedding, and we had planned, made all the plans to have enough served and that, to be able to serve everybody the wine. 
but we ran out of wine. And so we found out about that after the fact that Jesus took the water and he turned it into wine. But it wasn't just any wine. It was the greatest wine that anyone had ever tasted in their entire lives. Really. Is there anyone else who can verify this? Oh, yes, there are some servants now. The servants now come, and they take the same. Thank you, you may go, and the servants come. And the servants go, yes, we were there. We were the ones who carried the water from the water pots. And when we had was water, well, by the time we got to the master of the ceremonies, it was wine. We were hoping it was going to be just dirty water. We gave to them. But Jesus did something miraculous. We didn't see it happen, but it took place where he told us to take it and take it to the master of ceremonies. And when we got there, the water had turned into wine. He must be the Messiah. Thank you very much. You may, be, you may step down. But who else can we call forth for the works? Let's think also about Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you come and tell us how you testify as to who I am. Well, Nicodemus was at the temple, likely, at the temple cleansing. And he would say, Jesus came in and saw that it was not a place of prayer but of merchandise. And so what did Jesus do? But he turned over the tables and he ran the people out and he had a real zeal for the house of God. And so he is a man who has great authority. Nicodemus, is there anything that you would say to the Jews? Well, what did you say to me that night when you came to me in John 3? He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The works show that Jesus is God. Thank you, Nicodemus. You may step down. Who else can we have? Ah, yes, the woman at the well. And the woman at the well now comes, and she takes the stand. And, and she says, I went to the well one morning, one afternoon, around lunchtime. And as I went, there was Jesus. And as I talked with him, he knew everything about me. He knew all that there was about me. And he told me where I could really find satisfaction, where my deep thirst could be quenched. And so I knew that he must be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Well, what did you do? Well, I went back to Samaria and I told the people, Ah, oh, yes, here are the Samaritans and they come too. The Samaritans come and they take the witness stand now. Well, what do you have to say that testifies to me? The Samaritans say, Well, we heard him and indeed this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Thank you, thank you. You may step down now from the witness stand. Who else can we come? They'll tell about the works of Jesus. Well, how about the nobleman? You remember him, the nobleman and his son, and the nobleman and his son. Both of them now come, and they take the witness stand. And the nobleman tells us this story, that, the, that his son was sick with fever. He says, my son was sick, and I heard that, about Jesus, and I believed that he was who he says he is, and I heard that he was in Cana, and I took the long journey from Capernaum over to Cana, and I came to him because we tried everything else for my son to be saved from this fever. And so I came to Jesus, and I begged him, and he, he said to me these words, go your way, your son lives. And I went back to where my son was, and on the way, my servants met me and found out that it was at the very moment when Jesus said, go your way, your son lives, that my son's fever left him. I'm telling you, he's the Messiah. He is the one. He is the promised one. Well, what about you, son? What do you have to say? Well, I don't know what all happened, but this I know, that I was at the verge of death, but now I live. He is the Messiah. And we believe that, and our whole family believes that. Thank you. You may step down. 
Maybe one more witness we can have come. Yes, the lame man. The lame man who was by the pool of Bethesda. Come on in, if you would, please now, and take the stand. Would you please tell us how the works testify of me? Well, I had been at the pool for so long and couldn't get into the pool to be healed. And so then came Jesus along on the Sabbath, and he asked if I wanted to be healed. And I told him that I had no one to put me in into the waters as they were being stirred. And so he told me, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And I got up, and I walked. He must be God. Because only God can heal the lame who's been that way, especially for 38 years. You should know, the lame man says to the Jews, that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 35 that the eyes of the blind shall be opened, that the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer. And at this point, the Jews point their fingers and say, ah, he didn't, we don't need to listen to him. He admits, Jesus, you admitted that, you, that you, are, you are not God because you're breaking the Sabbath. For the word of God tells us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and you're breaking the Sabbath. Jesus says, ah, yes, the word of God, my next witness. Thank you, lame man. You may now go. And instead of walking out, he leaps like a deer out the door. The lame man is no longer lame, you remember. And so Jesus now calls the word of God as his third witness. Y'all still tracking with me this morning? All right. He calls the word of God. As he, and so in comes the word of God. Verse 39. Look, look at verse 39. You search the scriptures, Jesus says, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So this word of God comes. The scriptures come. It's not the Bible like we would know today, but rather it's a parchment. And so there is this holy pages of parchment that now are walking into the courtroom. And he steps up to the witness stand and takes the witness stand. And so Jesus says, these are the words which testify of me. And so Jesus would turn then to these parchment pages of scripture, holy scripture, and say, what is it that you testify of me, that I am who I say I am? And then the word would speak, and he would say these words to us. He would say, I am like a window by which people look through. And as people look through me, they're looking at something or someone beautiful. And that is you, Jesus, the promised Messiah. He would go further to say, the holy word of God, would go further to say as the witness, on every page, I whisper your name. While at other times I shouted out clearly. In all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets, they speak of you, Jesus. Jesus would say, really? Tell me more. Tell them how you testify as to who I am in the scriptures. The Holy Word of God says, I will. For in Genesis, he is the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the perfect high priest and the better sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the bronze serpent in the wilderness as it was lifted up and the people were saved from perishing. In Deuteronomy, he is the greater Moses, who is the prophet, priest, and king. In Joshua, he's the captain of the host of the Lord, and he is also Rahab's scarlet cord. In Judges, he is the great and final judge who is to come, and he is the righteous king. 
In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the greater David, our great shepherd and ruler. In First Kings, he's the wisdom of Solomon. In Second Kings, he's the greater Elisha, who lives among the people, who emphasizes grace and life and hope. In First and Second Chronicles, the word says, we see that he will be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and he is the temple. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the one who truly restores. In Job, Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will take his stand on the earth. In Psalms he is the shepherd who walks with us through the valley. In Proverbs he's the wisdom and the source of it. In Ecclesiastes he's the one who gives us meaning in life because he is life. In the Song of Solomon he's the bridegroom who woos and loves his bride. In Isaiah Oh, I love Isaiah, for he's the one that Isaiah saw sitting on the throne, high and lifted up as the seraphim called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's also the prophesied, Emmanuel, God with us. And he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, his mercies never cease, his compassion passions fail not and they are new every morning in Ezekiel he's the tender twig that becomes a stately cedar on a lofty mountain and in Daniel he's the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and he's the son of man in Hosea he's the faithful husband to an unfaithful wife and redeems her to himself in Joel he is the one who will judge the nations but also the one who restores what the locust has eaten in Amos He's the plumb line of righteousness. And Jonah, he's the one who is three days and nights in the belly of a fish and the one who calls the wicked to repent. And Micah, he's the one who will come from the least of the cities, Bethlehem. And Nahum, he's the stronghold in the day of trouble, our refuge. In Habakkuk, he is your strength no matter what is going on in your world. In Zephaniah, he's the one who clears away your enemies. In Haggai, he's the one who shakes the heavens and the earth. In Zechariah, he's the righteous branch and the cleansing fountain. In Malachi, he's seen as the great need of a Messiah and a messenger will go before him. Yes, all the word points directly to Jesus Christ. The word continues to speak and he says, on my pages, you see your greatest need. You see that you are hopelessly rebellious and unable to save yourself. But then also on my pages, you will see that you see God will send a Savior, that he promises a rescuer, and that Jesus is that promised one, the promised seed, the Lion of Judah, the Son of Man, the Suffering Servant, the Passover Lamb, and the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. Thank you, Word. You have done well to testify of me, Jesus says. You may now step down. And Jesus then calls the fourth witness. I'm now going to call the Father. And so we know that the Father here will not appear on the stand, but you'll recognize his presence as it fills the room. The Bible tells us that, verse 37, the Father himself who sent me. Back in 36, the Father has given me the works to finish. 
We see in verse 32, there's another who bears witness of me. I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He's speaking about the Father. So the Father doesn't actually come and appear on the stand, but his presence, we recognize his presence as it fills the room because he's behind all of those other witnesses that we've heard already. He's the one who sent John the Baptist. And the works that Jesus has done are the works of those which the Father has given him to finish. And then the word of God, well, it's the word of God. Amen? And so he's already testified of me, Jesus says, but you've not heard his voice. He has said, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. Hear him. But the Jews did not hear. Now, as we who are in the audience and we look over at the Jews, what we recognize about them, the Jewish leaders here, is that they still are not believing. They're still not believing, even with these four witnesses who have come forth before Jesus and during Jesus, that they are still not believing. Now, what we know about Jesus is that Jesus knew that before he brought in those witnesses to prove that he is the Son of God and that life is through him. But still, he proves that he's the true authority and is greater than their traditions and even the Sabbath. So that, why then, Jesus, knowing that they're not going to believe who he is, or at least most of them would not believe who he is, why would he still do that? It's because of his grace. Because he still came to save those who are lost, and he knows that they are lost. If they will believe, they will still have life. And verse 40, it tells us, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He knows their hearts. And so what we've been to the courtroom today, we recognize that there has been clear evidence today of who Jesus is. But then we're going to see the second thing here, which is a cross-examination. So there's clear evidence that we have with the witnesses as Jesus has very clearly validated and verified that he is who he says he is from these four witnesses. But now we have a cross-examination. I love what Jesus does here. Even as he is being persecuted, even as he is being accused, then Jesus very beautifully, masterfully turns the tables on the Jews. Because you see, they have come to him accusing him, but now he points out who they are. You see, they don't know who he really is, but he knows who they really are. And so he says to them, you don't have life because you do not honor me. You have rejected me. And so he says, let's look at the proof that you don't have life. You think you have life, but you don't have life. And push the pause button there. Isn't that like too many today as well? We think we have life. There are certain things that make us think that we have life, but in reality, we don't have life unless we know Jesus. Amen? Push the play button again. We go back to it. It says, let's look at the proof that you don't have life. And so now he says, you Jewish leaders, you come and you come to the witness stand. Again, verse 39, you think you have life. And as you're here on the witness stand, let's think about how we cross-examine you. Let's think about our first witness. We don't need to bring in John the Baptist to the witness stand again, but you know this. Verse 34 and 35 reads, I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved that he, John, was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Jesus says to the Jews, you refuse to see the light. John was a burning and a shining lamp for a time, and you were willing to rejoice in that light, in his light that he was carrying. So as a lamp, you know, it is a burning hot lamp that is a bright instrument that carries forth the light, the light being Jesus. 
And after a period of silence by the prophets, you were anxious to hear and wanted to hear what John the Baptist had to say. You liked the message that John was preaching about the Messiah's coming. You were excited about the Messianic age, and you valued what he had to say, but you took it to a point, and you refused to follow through. You had your preconceived notions about who the Messiah would be. And so when John pointed to me and it did not fit what you thought the Messiah should be, you were looking for a military leader to lead you out of Roman oppression. And now I say to you, deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. And you'll have nothing to that because your own unwillingness to give up yourself blinds you to who I am. If only they would receive the witness of John the Baptist, they would be saved. Notice here the call to repentance still stands for the Jews, and they will not listen. They refused the light. But then also we remember the second witness, Jesus says, remember the works. You looked, you see what has happened, but you're refusing to look. You refuse to see clearly what these works are. They all point to me as the Son of God. They're not willing to see that these works bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And so you refusing to see very clearly, you refuse to look. And then the third witness is the Word. Yes, the Word. Verses 38 and 39, it tells us here, But you do not have His Word abiding in you, because whom He sent, Him you do not believe. You search the Scriptures... For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. In other words, Jesus said, look, you have searched the scriptures, and you are proud of all of your accomplishments of knowing the scripture. Boy, you really know the scripture well. You memorize and memorize and memorize, and you treat it with such great respect and great uh, reverence. But you do not know who it's talking about. You have great respect for the scripture, but you don't know the Savior. You know the word of God, but you don't know the God of the word. He's saying, look, you could see the rules, but not the rescuer. You knew the stories, but not the story of redemption. You know all the letters on the parchment, but not the land that will pay for your sin. You knew the prophecies, but not the promised one. You have a big head about the scripture, but not a burning heart for the Savior. And I wonder today if that's not also us. Well, we are very proud of our accomplishments about what we believe about the Word of God, and we must always stick to the inerrancy of the Word of God. And we're proud of who we are and what we can do as we memorize and quote it. And we can check off our boxes that I've been through my yearly Bible, and those are great. But do you know the God of the Word? They were thinking that eternal life was found just in the memorization and the accomplishments of knowing the scripture. But they were missing out. They were blind to who the scripture was pointing to. Do you know Jesus? And then, of course, we have the fourth witness. Jesus says in verse 41, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I know you, Jesus says, and you do not have the love of God in you. So in other words, they do not love him. If they loved God, Jesus said, then you would receive me. Jesus said, if you have, have not, you have not honored me or you would believe in me. You say you love God, but if you really love God, you would know me and trust me and receive me. 
You're not looking to honor me, but rather you're looking to honor yourselves. In verse 44, that's what we see here. How can you believe who, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? They love to honor each other. They love to receive praise and acceptance and approval of men. For you're only following the crowd, he says, not following the Lord. If that were not so, you would follow me, but you refuse to love. And then Jesus would say, but there is yet one more witness that I want to bring in today. Witness, not for my benefit, but really to accuse you. And so he says, let's bring in Moses. Verse 45, do you not think that I shall, I shall accuse you to the Father? There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Man, they love Moses. They love reading about Moses and love the scriptures concerning Moses. So Moses makes his way to the witness stand. He takes the stand and he speaks to the Jews. He says, I'm here to accuse you because you're not listening to the word. And, the, and I have before me the law. And the law here that you take such great pride in, you need to understand that the law reveals something about your own stony heart, that you are sinful, that all of us are sinful apart from Christ. But also, as you think about me, Moses, you need to think about beyond me that there is a greater Moses. That there is one who brings out of real bondage, and that is Jesus. That Jesus is the one who will deliver from the enemy. That Jesus is the one who is the rock that satisfies our thirst in the wilderness. That Jesus is the one who is the true bread. That Jesus is the one who is the perfect sacrifice once and for all. That Jesus is the one who brings us into the promised land. He is the one that the word points to. Jesus would say, thank you, Moses. You may now leave the stand. And so Jesus then looks to the Jews, and he says to the Jews, okay, so you say you have life. Where is the proof that you have life? There is none. And of course, Jesus would know that because he knows their hearts. He's the one who has authority to give life. He has the authority to judge. And he shows clearly in this cross-examination that these Jews do not have life. It's very clear. It's proven that you do not have life because he says, I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. But wait a minute, we're not done. Jesus says, hang on. And now... He looks at you. He said, I'd like for you now, each individually, to come to the witness stand. And he brings you to this witness stand, and Jesus comes over and he says, where is the proof that you have life? Where is the proof that you have life? And beloved, I ask you, would you be a credible witness for Jesus. Because that truly is the real cross examination, isn't it? When we ask ourselves, has the cross of Jesus really made a difference in your life? That's the cross examination. Has the cross made a difference in your life? Is there proof that you belong to Jesus or have you also refused to follow the light? In 1 John chapter 1, the same author of 1 John, the same author of the Gospel of John, he says in 1 John 1 verse 5 and following, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. 
Are we just saying that we belong to Jesus on Sunday, but then we're walking in darkness the rest of the week? That's the question. Or have, are we, have we refused to follow the light, living in the light? Is there proof that you belong to Jesus as you follow his word? Or have you refused to listen? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and following, it says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Following the word, it will not make you saved, but once you're saved, you want to follow the word. Amen. We want to do what the Lord wants us to do and be obedient to him. Not just to check off the boxes, but it's because we love him. Which brings us to the next question. Is there really proof that you belong to Jesus as you know him, or have you also refused to love him? And 1 John 4, verse 19 and 21 says, We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Do you just claim to love the Lord, or do you really love him with all your heart, mind, and soul? And if you're loving the Lord, are you really loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you loving your brother and sisters unconditionally? Ooh, that hurts. Is there proof that you belong to Jesus? Is there proof that you have life? Is there proof to the world that he is your Lord and that he has authority over you? Or are you just playing games? 1 John 5 verse 11 12 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. Beloved, it is all about Jesus. Having that relationship with him and letting him be the true authority and Lord over your life. Where is the proof in your life that you belong to Jesus? What's the verdict? Who do you say that Jesus is? And could you be a credible witness that Jesus is Lord? Who does he say you are? Where's the proof that you have this life? And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I can't say that. I can't say that I really have this life, this everlasting life, this eternal life, the life that only Jesus, I I just don't have that life. Well, how do I know? Well, you have the witness of the word of God, and you have the works. We've seen what Jesus has done here, but we also have something that the Jew did not have at this moment as we read this passage of Scripture. We also have two other works. We have the works of the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross, And the glorious resurrection from the dead on the third day. Amen. We know for a fact that that's what Jesus did. He died for us and he rose again on the third day. And we trust him by faith. We take a step of faith. If you're here today and you've never trusted him by faith, you can know him very clearly by trusting him today. By turning from sin, turning to Jesus. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Coming to him in repentance, believing with all of, our, all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you on the cross, who rose again, and profess him as the Lord of your life. So, and then, 
if you claim to know him, the next question for you is, is are you being a witness to the life that you say you have to other people? Are you meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus? Are you able to tell the world around you through the actions in which you live and the words in which you speak that Jesus is Lord? Now, you notice on your piece of paper this morning that there is not a to-do there. Well, I just couldn't stand it, so I got one for you, all right? So here's your to-do, all right? And, and I want you to start today. Prove to others that Jesus is Lord. And how do I do that, Pastor? By being a witness. Be a witness. Let people see something different in you. Love unconditionally. Walk in the light. Not in darkness. Walk according to the word. And love him with all of your heart. And love others like yourself. Be a witness. Point them to Jesus. Through your actions and through your words. Now, court is adjourned for today until we see Jesus face to face. Amen? What a day that will be. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives. Lord, to truly be the witness that you want us to be. We thank you for the witness of John the Baptist for Jesus, the witness of the works, the witness of the word, the witness of the Father. The witness of which we see that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again bodily from the grave, giving us that hope, the assurance. We thank you, Lord, that there were over 500 who witnessed your resurrection and the bodily Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would have your way in us, that we would live that out, live out the gospel, live that out in the way we live our lives every day, through our actions, our reactions, how we love, how we care, how we talk, how we drive, how we teach how we work around the house, everything we do, our schoolwork, our work at home, our work away from home, everything from taking out the trash, Lord, to doing our taxes, may everything magnify you, Lord Jesus. So that it is no doubt that if we were put on a witness stand today, that we belong to Jesus, that we have life in his name because we believe he is who he says he is the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior and Redeemer. Lord, may you impact us with that message today, and may we walk away from here changed people. As we come now to this invitation, Lord, may we yield to your authority. May we surrender to all that you're asking us to do and be and to know, because you are that authority over us. Lord, may you have your way in us. If there are those here that need to come and take a pastor by the hand to ask for prayer or to say, I want Jesus to save my soul, that I want him to give me life, real life. Or if they just need to come and pray silently here. But whatever you're doing in our hearts and lives today, may we be obedient and follow through. Not just to hear, but also to listen and to follow through. And now, Lord, we praise you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.